0: All right. Hello, this is Brian Lawrence back with another episode of the Selling Bliss podcast. We took a little extended holiday break, but I'm super excited to ro- welcome Jordan Sale, a really successful entrepreneur. Um, and so grateful to have you with me today, Jordan. And w- would you start by sharing a little, what what is 81 Cents, the company that you founded and are the CEO of?
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. So 81 Cents is a negotiation startup and we help professionals, um, typically ones who are underrepresented in terms of gender and or race, uh, we help them negotiate their pay. And so that's everything from sourcing the data they need to kind of figure out if an offer is fair, helping them figure out what to kind of counter with. Um, to talking about like why is it so hard to negotiate and why is it scary to ask for 40% more and you know for a lot of people they especially those who are working in tech um, they were raised not really talking about money or they might be making more than their parents ever made and so there's a lot of like guilt and tough emotions that come with something as you know theoretically as straightforward as negotiation and so we're kind of there to support professionals through that entire process and been doing it for about five years now. It'll be five years this summer. And we've been lucky enough to support over a thousand professionals in their wow. negotiations. And so along the way, we've also collected a lot of like industry insights and have just, you know, pretty good visibility into what's going on in the hiring market.
0: Amazing. And what what does the 81 cents actually represent?
1: Ah, yes, that's a very fair question. So 81 cents represents the amount that the average women, woman earns um, compared to every dollar that the average man earns. At least as of 2018, that number now is up to about 83 cents. So we've made a little bit of
0: progress. Tiny bit of progress. And I think for a lot of people, that that's kind of shocking that still in this day and age, <laughs> we see that type of wage disparity. What What, Because of all these great data points and amazing people that you've worked with, why is that still in existence? What are some of the things that underlie that? Is it blatant discrimination? Is it compounding uh, on certain things? Or what what are some of the the root causes of that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So the way that the number is measured is basically it takes um, all of the pay of like full-time salaried men and compares it to kind of every full-time salaried woman, and then it takes like the median. So we're not necessarily looking at what does software engineer with five years of experience make compared to another software engineer fi- with five years of experience. It's looking at like the job market as, the whole, as a whole. And so some of the factors that go into that are, um, you know, like promotion rates where you see men getting promoted at like much higher frequencies than women, Um, you see like, you know, especially like you compare entry-level roles where you generally have like parity, if not even like more women than men. And then as you rise up the ranks, you see that get like largely skewed. And then once you get to the senior leadership level, you see, you know, vast majority of men. Um, And so that is a big part of kind of what goes into it. Differences in negotiation also impact this, where Men are typically much more willing to negotiate, tend to be less fearful of it. Not to say that it's not hard for everyone. I think it is, but there is um, some research done that said like majority of women compare negotiations, like going to the dentist where majority of men compare it to playing a baseball game. Like it feels much more like a game, a challenge, a sport.
0: Yep. I, you know, I had an experience recently with a, a woman Friend of mine who was negotiating for a VP level job. And she she just had a lot of trepidation about pushing back the the salary and the equity weren't quite what she was looking for. And I think she had a hard time reconciling, feeling okay about, you know, asking for more. And as we went around and around, and at one point I just finally said to her, listen, as a you know, heterosexual white male, I would absolutely be asking for a higher salary and more equity. And that seemed kind of like liberating and validating for her of like, okay, I I can go ahead and ask for that. Um, But do you find, is that, that the, you know, women sometimes have these preconceived notions that they've been trained not to ask for these things? Or what are some of the things that you help coach people through as you work with them?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've seen, you know, in a thousand negotiations, I've seen like every possible permutation it feels like. Um, And so I think there are a lot of different things that get in people's way, but a few of the things that we tend to focus on are one, um, like how much scarcity do you feel in your job search? So the more you feel that you need to take the first offer you get, or you need this opportunity, or one like it will never come along, the less likely you are to feel comfortable making a really big ask, because you're really scared of the offer going away. And so a lot of what we work with people on is like, why do they feel scarcity? How much of the scarcity is perceived scarcity versus real scarcity? Because a lot of people do have financial insecurity, and there is real scarcity out there. But we want to make sure to help people separate out what's real, and what's just like, them being afraid. Um, Part of how we do that is we work with folks on what's called their BATNA and BATNA stands for best alternative to the negotiated agreement. Basically like what's your baseline? What's your plan B? If you don't take this new offer, kind of what happens to you? And the better your BATNA is, the easier it is for you to make a really ambitious ask and to feel really comfortable walking away from it. So in the current job market where we have so many folks who are laid off, one of the things we've been recommending is that People consider getting freelance work or using this time to upskill or consulting or short-term, part-time kind of things so that they don't need to take the first offer that they get. And one of my favorite stories is someone we worked with got a product marketing offer, and it was not a great offer. They weren't super psyched about the company. There were a couple of red flags, and they but they were not working right now, and they ended up turning it down Doing work through Upwork. And it was not like lucrative work. And I don't think it was very intellectually stimulating, but they had enough kind of coming in that they could support like day to day needs. And then they kept job searching six weeks later, found a more senior role, great company, better fit, better pay, negotiated it, got it up even more, and kind of were off to the races. And so they really like bet on themselves and allowed them to, you know, two months later end up with something that was a much better fit. So that's a big part of like what we work with people on is, you know, how do you feel more deserving of awesome opportunities and how do you bet on yourself in a really safe kind of low risk way?
0: Right. Uh, when you mentioned BATNA, I had a flashback to business school. And so uh, you you and I met that uh, we were sitting in an airport and I think I noticed a uh, A UC Berkeley Haas sticker on your computer. And that's where I think I had a few years before you had completed uh, my MBA in the evening program, but that's, is that where you started uh, 81 cents was while you were in business school? Can you tell a little bit about the the founding and what, what led you to it?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think we met in like the Oakland airport on the Southwest flight. If I have,
0: if I'm remembering that correctly, I don't know where we were
1: going though. Yeah. Um, But yes, so I started, you know, I'd always been interested in negotiations, partly because I think I've always really struggled with it. I think of myself as, you know, pretty extroverted and confident. But when it comes to negotiation, I become like a totally different person and I'm like timid and shy. And it's hard for me to kind of like ask for what I know that I deserve. But I've also been very, lucky and that I've had some really awesome mentors throughout my career who have guided me through negotiations. And I remember I got my very first full-time job offer and I told my uncle about it. And he said, you know, congrats. I'm really proud of you. Now, what are you going to counter with? And I was like, what do you mean counter? I've never had a full-time job before. It's amazing. Someone wants me to work for them. And he basically explained like, no, this is how this works. They're expecting it. There's, almost zero risk from asking, let me guide you through the process. And so I begrudgingly let him kind of tell me what to do. I did it. It was terrifying, but it worked. And I got like, you know, a 10% increase or something like that. And I remember that they actually increased the pay of the two or three other people who were going to start in the same position that I had. And that made me feel really good too, of like, oh, wow, like, I don't know if these other people even asked, but I was able to kind of like help myself and help them in the process. And so that kind of kept happening over the beginning of my career. And each time it felt terrible during it and then good after. But I also realized like how little I knew about it and how much every industry is different. So I ended up getting a job at a startup at one point and I kind of went back to the same mentors for advice. And suddenly, like, they didn't know what to tell me because I had, I had like stock options and they didn't know what that meant. And so I kind of negotiated as if they didn't matter and I ignored them and then kind of got into the company and realized like how easy it would have been to ask for more equity. And, you know, realized I kind of like left things on the table and it was just a few experiences like that. of realizing like, huh, I didn't do that very well. And that felt really bad when I sort of realized like, huh, this is a space I'd like to learn more about. And what is happening to all the people who don't have mentors and uncles and whatnot to kind of guide them through this process. And so fast forward a couple of years later, I was at Berkeley for my MBA and just had more space. And there was sort of this cool startup ethos. And I had done the early stage startup thing for a while and sort of decided, like, I want to see what it would be like to try to start my own.
0: Wow. When when you talk to people, um, it, something you, you touched on, I, I think a lot of people have a, a fear, a concern, if I push back, or if I ask for more, they might withdraw the, the job offer, and I really need this job. And so like, hey, I'd be happier if my, my salary was 10% higher. But there's this fear of, uh, you know, maybe I'll lose the job, especially today with the you know, kind of strange job market that we have of record low unemployment, but everyone's reading, especially in tech, about the layoffs. How do you counsel people through that? And what have you seen? Like, how, how often do do job offers get withdrawn because someone countered the, the proposal?
1: Almost never. Uh, very, very, very infrequently, I would say, like, of the thousand negotiations I've supported on, I've maybe seen, like, three offer reasons. Wow. Um I would note that that's different than like headcount being frozen and I have unfortunately especially in the current market seen offers, you know, someone accepts an offer like we saw it on TikTok a couple of weeks ago and they came back and they were like we're really sorry but we can't you know, finish the hiring process here. But in that case, like usually the recruiter will try to connect you with something else or they'll try to open it back up soon and they'll be in Mm -hmm. touch. So I'd say that's a different kind of scenario, but excuse me, the risk from, you know, losing an offer from respectful negotiation is is very, very low, but there are a few ways that you can de-risk it. So for example, don't negotiate over email. Over email, you can't control your tone. You can't control how your message is perceived. You don't know what's going on with the person you're emailing when they open the email. Maybe they're like rushed and stressed and just got off a stressful phone call or something like that. So like you kind of are putting a lot of things, like you're not controlling like every variable you could. When you do it over the phone, you can be friendly, you can be curious, you can be respectful. And it's just, it's. Research shows it's a lot harder to say no face to face. But if you do get some sort of like defensive reaction or they get like frustrated, you can like learn more about what's going on there. Or you can like, you know, make your ask and say, like, curious how that lands for you. Or do you think that's something you could make work? Um, So, you know, not every negotiation is successful in that you get more money, but you can always, you know, do it so that you get more information and have a better sense of like why. They may not be able to increase it. Um, so that's kind of one thing you can do to de-risk it. The second thing you can do is like not just rely on your recruiter, but really build a relationship with the hiring manager. So, you know, most people I think are under the assumption that you negotiate with the recruiter, especially for one of these like big tech companies, but really like your hiring manager is the one who has to be your advocate. And while they might not be, you know, they might not care if you make 81 or 84, it's their approval and their support that gets the recruiter to like go to bat for you. And so the deeper of a relationship you build with your hiring manager, the like lower the risk is. Recruiters don't rescind offers like hiring managers do. And so if you've built an awesome relationship, then again, you might not get the increase, but there's gonna be very little risk there from asking.
0: And aside from just an increase in salary, what are some of the things that you see people negotiate for? And so, if there's, a, you know, company says, "Hey, we've gone, we've gone as far as we can on base salary." What are some other things that you would recommend? And you've seen people negotiate for?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, base salary, equity, signing bonus, annual bonus percentage. Um, lately, we've been pitching more like two year retention bonuses. So. Mm-hmm. Amazon historically gives out signing bonuses over two years. Um, We've been pitching, especially at like more of the senior levels to kind of pitch companies on that as well. Companies tend to like that because it de-risks it for them. Like if this person isn't around in two years, we don't pay this out. But it helps you kind of get a commitment to kind of more comp down the line. Um, Severance is something I'm recommending that people negotiate right now going into a job offer. So it's a really uncertain market. What happens if six months from now this role doesn't work out? Can I negotiate three months of severance in? And hopefully the idea is you never get to a place where you need to use that. Um, The other thing to negotiate for is around like scope of work and role and level. And Mm -hmm. one of my like favorite negotiation strategies is to help people up-level themselves during the negotiation process. So Just because you've been told that you're interviewing for an L5 role or a senior manager role doesn't mean that you wouldn't necessarily be considered for L6 or director. And oftentimes, a company will be willing to do a few more interviews with you to kind of determine if you could be at that next level. Usually, like there's very little harm in asking, and usually, even if you don't get it, you'll get some more information on like what is required to get that promotion or what is required to get to that next level. And often you do get it. And like I recently worked with someone who had gotten a senior manager offer and told them, you know, she's really more interested in being a director. Is there anything that they could do to kind of consider her at that level? They did four more interviews and she ended up getting it. And then with that came a, I wanna say like 50K a year increasing comp just from like moving from one level to the next, not to mention like the pride you feel from feeling like you're being kind of fairly valued.
0: Yeah, I would just say from from a hiring manager standpoint, someone who is ambitious and looking to push themselves, I've never regarded that as a bad thing. And I I just keep thinking about the three people uh, that you mentioned had offers rescinded and although I'm sure that was incredibly painful, part of me feels like if I'm one of those three people, I'd rather know up front that this is the sort of person and the sort of company I'm potentially working for. And I I, 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 I would just rather know that up front. And what, what was the reaction of, of those three people? And what have you seen like I mean is that a red flag that if someone if you're asking for either more responsibility or to understand something better or hey is there room for negotiation and they they withdrew an offer or even had you know really strong pushback against that how much of a red flag would that be for you and how would you cancel a, a candidate
1: Yeah I would say that if an offer gets rescinded from kind of asking respectfully curiously I'd say it's like a huge red flag for the company. And, you know, one of the things I try to remind people is the way a company negotiates is reflective of what it's going to be like to work there. So if they make you feel guilty and terrible for asking for more comp, what's it going to be like to ask for a promotion in a year? Mm -hmm. Can you expect this person to go to bat for you? Um, If you ask them to explain how the comp package was decided on and they you know, are really dismissive and kind of talk down to you. What's it going to be like to get feedback or are you going to feel comfortable bringing them a problem you're stuck on? Like, are they going to make you feel small when you do that? And so I really think, excuse me, that the negotiation process is a chance to actually collaborate with the company and learn what it's going to be like to work there. And if you're going to be successful and, You know, in those cases, I think everyone had a different reaction to it. But like you follow up with those people a year later and they're like, thank God I didn't join that place. That would have been terrible. Or I'm so happy that I got, you know, the chance to keep interviewing because then I found this company that I'm at now, which is like a great fit. So it's never fun in the moment. And luckily it happens almost never, but I do think it is usually representative of a company. And again, I would just differentiate like there's a difference between being told no. Sure. and being, having your, your offer taken away. And I think, you know, I recently worked with someone on a negotiation and they got like a fairly small increase, but the company was so communicative and so professional and explained to them exactly why they had offered them what they offered that they ended up really feeling good about joining and knowing that they had advocated for themselves and really having like a deep understanding of why their offer was what it was. And so yes, it wasn't like this wildly successful financial outcome, but they felt really confident about their decision to join the company.
0: Yep. And, you know, I, I think that's just just what the experience is. And, and this is really like a first date. And so your people are on their best behavior at the beginning. And if it's rough there, you can only imagine what it's going to be like down the road. And I think what you just said, where, you know, if a company came back and said, hey, You're actually at the top of this offer was reflective of your experience and Jordan, you're, you're coming in at the top of the scale and, you know, gave you some explanation and context. I think that goes such a long way and helps alleviate any, any hard feelings, but just having that open dialogue and being able to, to have that comfort level. And you're suggesting not just doing it with the recruiter, but making sure that you can have that sort of conversation with the hiring manager, correct? Is that where you've seen it be most effective?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think like having the hiring manager on your side and letting them know, like you are intending to ask for more comp and do you have their support or do they have any advice for you can be really, really helpful. And again, like, or similarly, like one of my favorite questions to ask is, you know, can you explain sort of the comp philosophy at the company and like, how did you arrive at this offer? Because a lot of times there's, if there's no process, that's informative. And if there's a lot of process, that's also informative.
0: Yep, those are just pieces of information. Um, one of the the kind of famous instances in, in corporate America in the last few years is that Mark Benioff talked about how he at Salesforce went through, did a review, found out that there are these discrepancies and then um, made sure, you know, Salesforce trued everybody up. And then uh, uh, sometime later, he thought the problem had been solved, but they did a check and they found out that these same disparities in in gender pay had uh, sprung up again. And so they they tried to figure out how to root it out systematically and, and to, you know, how to make sure that it didn't occur. What would your advice be for for? People on the other side for hiring managers and for companies. Is that part of what you do? Help them understand how these disparities come about and how to prevent them? Uh, Do you have tips and suggestions there?
1: So, we are pretty squarely on the side of the candidate and have been sort of intentional about not wanting to work with companies because while I believe there are some good actors out there, I think also. I've seen just like some egregious behavior and I want to make sure like our loyalty is to the candidate and the consumer. Um, That being said, like I, you know, have followed the Salesforce process and it is interesting to see like a calibration happen and then it's needed again a few years later. And I guess for me, it's just sort of representative of like what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation of like, there are these systematic kind of forces underlying things and it's not about, just what dollar someone's being offered, but it's about promotion rate, it's about advancement, it's about mentorship, it's about helping people be able to see themselves at more senior levels with more, you know, senior compensation packages. And so similarly, like to, it has taken us a long time to go from like, you know, 81 to 83 cents or 60 cents to 81 cents. Like it's gonna take a long time and it's not a one and done kind of thing. And I think companies need to like, build this into kind of every component of their work what they offer people how they promote when they promote what numbers they promote with how they think about going from entry to mid from mid to manager from manager to senior like all of those kind of things like it it really requires a lot of discipline and i think one of the things that scares me the most about that is like i know for that reason that most startups will kind of like punt on pay parity or Punt on DEI because it takes longer and feels harder than just like tapping your network or paying everyone the lowest possible amounts. And so I think that I, and we've tried to do this at 81 cents too, is like try to have more of an attitude of like, hard problems are worth solving. And we don't always need to take like the fastest path. Like let's do things kind of like the right way, even if that's like harder. So like, you know, for example, a lot of people will say like, oh, like coaching isn't scalable. So how will you help like thousands of people? And we're sort of challenging that and trying to say, well, we think we can make coaching scalable and we want to. And so yes, it's not easy. And yes, if it was like a SAS widget, that might be better. But with coaching, we get to help people like deeply work on these things and actually make really substantial increases. And we believe we'll be able to do it scalably. It just might take us a little longer to get there.
0: And most of the, the people that you work with, are they in the middle of a job search? And so they're coming to you? Or how frequently do you work with someone who's already at a company, they're at like an Amazon, and they want to, to grow there, but they're not sure they're being compensated fairly? Like, what, what's kind of your mix? And where do you work with folks most frequently?
1: I'd say it's about 70, 30, 70% of people are actively job searching, interviewing, you know, want to get a new offer, whether that's because they're not currently working or really want to leave their current employment. And then probably 30% of people we call like our advancement coaching clients. And that's more of how do you navigate things on the job? How do you go for that next promotion? How do you decide, like, is this the moment where I should stick it out and wait to get the promotion, or is that not viable, not going to happen for a long time?
0: When do I you know, move somewhere else instead? And so kind of helping people weigh those factors. Yep. And aside from contacting 81 cents, what are some of your favorite tools and resources that you would recommend to people to kind of figure out what what their monetary worth is, where... You know how they should be thinking about it, to understand, are they being fairly compensated, what to ask for what What are some of the things that you would recommend?
1: So I do think it varies by you know industry and sector and whatnot. I think your network can be an amazing source of information, and I personally think people are way too hesitant to talk about kind of what they're earning. And so mm-hmm. I always recommend that people talk to their friends about it, their peers about it, and you know, you can do it from a lens of like parity or in the interest of kind of this mission and trying to create more transparency. I mean, you don't necessarily have to say like, what are you earning? But you can offer to kind of share your comp first and kind of get their reactions on it. Like based on, you know, my career and my experience, do you think I'm being paid fairly? So I think that can be kind of one way and you can acknowledge the awkwardness up front. Sometimes that makes <laughs> it a little bit easier. Um, then like for various industries that are different, you know, free and open online databases. I think I have some concerns about like the quality of that information and how helpful it is, but like certainly knowledge is power and getting more information is always better. Um, and like, like I know, like in the design field, there's like an annual survey done of like design freelancers where people share like their rates for the past year, or like, I have a friend who runs a recruiting company that's, focused on helping ex-consultants go into business operations and strategy roles at startups, like very niche. And they do a survey every year. So I'd say like, what is sort of like that niche uh, segment for you in your career path? And, um, you know, in sales, it's like rep view, maybe like, yeah. not just like a general open database, but like, can you find your sector or function specific one? Um, And then I think my biggest piece of advice for people who are working in tech is to actually take the time to try to understand what equity is, how it creates value for you. This can be a game changer for so many people. And there's a lot of research out there. Well, actually not enough research, but there is research out there that shows that you think the pay gap in terms of salary is big. When you apply it to equity, it's even more pronounced. Like I recently saw that Um, women earn 49 cents on the dollar for every dollar of equity men have. And that's controlling for
0: differences at
1: the founder level too. So I do think as like pay bans become required and companies get more rigorous around salary bans that you'll see some of the disparity spread to some of those non-cash comp factors that we talked about.
0: Um, I loved you had a response that there was kind of a hot little topic around, uh, in the state of California, that uh, there's a requirement to state what what salary ranges are. And some companies like Netflix are kind of going, uh, it, doing everything they can to kind of flaunt that they're not going to adhere to that. And so I think Netflix listed a job as saying it paid somewhere between 90K and 900K a year. And- well, what was your response to that, and how would you counsel people uh, when they're talking to a company like Netflix and, and they're being asked, um, "Hey, what what range are you looking for?" Or what? Uh, how, how should people respond? Do they wait for the company first, or? But but I'll ask you first. What what was your response when you saw that range of ninety to nine hundred k from from Netflix?
1: Yeah, I was furious about it. I feel like it's just like a blatant disregard for the intention of that law, which is to try to help candidates make more informed decisions, try to help save process or time in the hiring process so people aren't spending time on roles that could never compensate them. It's just like completely unhelpful. Um, And I just think like these laws aren't going to help us create parity when they look like this. That being said, I do think it's a fair point. Like this is V1 and maybe V2 or V3 of the law will work better. So I'm optimistic and I think like you need to take both like a top down systems approach to these kind of change and like grassroots and we need everyone at all levels. So I'm open to it, but obviously like when the pay range is 90 to 900, like what are you supposed to do with that? Right. Um, I've also heard that some companies aren't even listing like the full range on there. Because they've basically like reframed how they're thinking about it internally. So if you think of like, we have like four quartiles of like pay we can pay people, like the bottom of the range to the top of the range. Companies are basically listing like the first, second, and third quartiles. And then the fourth quartile they're considering to be like max, max, or like top, top. So it's not like the range, it's not the top of the range, but it's the top, top of range. So, I would even encourage you, like, don't even if you know they say the top is like 100, it might actually be 150 or 140 or whatnot. So, I think people basically need to like ignore them for now. And I always recommend that people try to get a number from the company first because they are going to have more information than you likely have. And maybe the one exception to that is if you are intentionally making a career shift that you think might pay you less. Um, like going from for-profit to non-profit or something like that. Like you could theoretically anchor with your expectation or with what you're making today because you know that you're likely going to be taking a step down. So like the closer they can get to your current comp, the better. But that's probably the only time I would say to share a number upfront.
0: Yeah. And so otherwise push back and, and have the company share it, gather information before you... Because I imagine that frequently you would see people undersell themselves and the the number they put out there, uh, it's more that they're they're putting too low a number than they're going to scare off the company with too high a number. Am I correct in that?
1: Yep, exactly. So, you know, I've had, I can't tell you how many times someone has come to me and said, like, they asked for my expectations. I said X, but now I realize like X is too low. What do mm-hmm. I do? How do I recover? That's far more common than I set a number and they said, "Sorry, that will never work." Can't do that,
0: right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we talked a lot about the the gender disparity, but what other types of uh, disparity are you seeing in terms of race or or other things that just have inequity built into the the salary structure? What what other areas are you seeing it in?
1: yeah. um, I mean, race is an enormous source of pay disparity. And in particular, when you combine like gender and race together, you see women of color earn significantly less than white women or men of color, and obviously much less than white men. Um, and I mean, the pay gaps, like when you look at kind of what black women are paid, what Latin women are paid, what native, women are paid i mean they're like egregious and there's just so much work to be done there to both like create more pipelines to give those candidates like more models of success at the senior levels and i think for us to kind of like teach and empower around negotiation um those are like the two main factors that often get looked at but there's so many others for their disparities as well i mean sexual orientation and gender identity are like barely researched. Mm -hmm. um, But there are definitely paid disparities there as well. But I really go back to like, if we don't, if we can't measure something and if we can't, like, how are we supposed to fix something if we can't even measure it? And so I think the first step is really like research and measurement. Um, Age is definitely one where... People who are very senior are being kind of like cut out from processes. People who are junior, although they have been like hired for a role and are told they're fully capable of it, are being paid less. So that's also one that um, I think people run into a lot.
0: I guess the the great news for you is that there's no end to your work, but it is <laughs> kind of a kind of a sad commentary. So what what's next for 81 cents? Where where do you see your business growing? What are some of the new things you're going to be tackling?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, we, when we started, we were really focused on data and I sort of felt like if we can give people data, then that's the biggest gap to kind of negotiating effectively. And I think as we've gone on, I've realized like data is just one piece of it. And there's really like this deeper underlying confidence that I think folks often struggle with that makes it really hard to kind of like advocate for yourself, like to say, you know, I don't want to be a senior manager. I'd really like to be considered at the director level. Like that's not about if you have data, right? That's about if you believe you can do director level work. So I think kind of going deeper with the clients we are working with and trying to help empower them in more creative ways, whether it's asking for up-level or, you know, a increased uh, more clarity around like promotion cycle or whatever it may be. And then the other big thing is that we're expanding more into the job search because we've found that really your ability to negotiate does depend on how the search goes for you. How many companies are you talking to at a time? How many opportunities do you have on the table? That's not if you're good at negotiating. That's more reflective of if you're good at interviewing and did you time your interviews correctly and all of that. Right. So that's something we're focused on. Also helping people get clear on like, what kind of work they want to be doing and what are they willing to like walk away from? Um, It also starts to blend almost towards like financial wellness, right? Of like, if you have more runway for your job search, then you're going to be more selective and you're really going to only go for those roles that are director level or whatnot. And so kind of working with folks earlier to figure out like how long can I job search for, especially in a market like this one. So No shortage of things we're working on and then we're also kind of getting more clear on like the line between like our for-profit work and our non-profit work mm-hmm. and so kind of the for-profit for- for-profit side of our business is um, basically we take like a percentage of how much the offer goes up by so we feel really good about like it being incentive aligned and kind of when candidates do well we do well and then we also recognize though that for some professionals, they shouldn't be paying us anything because even though we've helped them increase their offer, they just have so many demands on their finances, or maybe they're a single parent, or maybe they just switched careers and, you know, took a big step down in pay. And so we are working on having like the proceeds from our for-profit business kind of fund, like totally pro bono, nonprofit coaching and also education.
0: That's so great. Well, Jordan, I am so grateful that Southwest and the Oakland Airport brought us together (laughs) and that that you took the time to come and hang out with me and share share knowledge today. So just thank you so much. It's been such a fascinating conversation.
1: Thank you for taking the time. It was so great to catch up.